Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 104. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Hi guys, before we start the show today, I am so excited to tell you about my Fast Track to Flipping Masterclass. It's coming up in January of 2019, and I'm going to share all kinds of wonderful tips, tricks, and secrets to the success of my over 200 house flips that I've done so far. I'm also going to be introducing my mentoring program that we're going to start in January. So if you want to be part of a group, a team, and have a support system in place, and some accountability, because that's what really gets you in action, I know, then go sign up for this masterclass right now at hardhatholly.com forward slash flip. That's hardhatholly.com forward slash flip. Go register and I look forward to seeing you there in January. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. And today we have with us another experienced, successful investor that is actually not a full-time investor. So I'm really excited for him to share his investing strategies with you because I know not everybody wants to do this full-time like me. Not everybody's so crazy. So I'm really so happy to welcome to the show today, Daniel Amaduri. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for being here. Well, why don't you give our listeners a little background on you and tell us your backstory and how you got to where you are today. Sure. I'm, I'm the co-founder of futuremoneytrends.com. It's a personal finance letter where I share my wealth ideas and experiences and in investing and different things that I'm doing now and things that I've done in the past that maybe didn't work or maybe did work. <laughs> Um, had a lot of success early on in life. Uh, started buying property when I was 18 years old, but uh, blew myself up in 2008. Uh, was on Flip That House and all that stuff. If you guys remember the bubble. And um, kind of blew up and ended up in a bankruptcy attorney's office with my wife. Decided not to file bankruptcy, but slowly began that uh, building of financial independence over the next five years until we had achieved that. And even though I enjoy doing what I do as a publisher and, and a writer, um, I actually use real estate to achieve uh, financial independence. That is awesome. I'm so, my hat's off to you. My hard hat's off to you. But uh, you didn't file bankruptcy and that you found a way out of it um, without doing that. So... Well, as I mentioned before, I love to always ask my guests about their first deal. So tell us more about that first deal. I think you were, what, 18 when you bought the first house? <laughs> yeah, I was 18 years old, not knowing I wasn't supposed to buy rental property. So I went out and did it. And um, it was the, the lending was not as relaxed as it got, you know, uh, in the years to follow. Because I was 18, it was, it was the year 2000, bought a house in Southern California, um, used an FHA program. So came in with the uh, 3% down and um, was able to establish myself with a condo, the property, the cash flow made sense. I was able to make income from it. And that was able, um, I was able to springboard with that property, even using that property to buy my second deal. I, I had put a second note on the property to buy the second deal. So that was my first deal. And um, it, it was exciting. I have to ask what even 
got your attention to consider buying something at age 18. I mean, most young men that age are, it's like not even crossing their mind. They're still living with their parents. I mean, what inspired you to do it? And was it a rental property or did you live in it or any of it yourself? Or what was that? Yeah, it was the rental property. I actually kept buying rental properties until I was 22 and my dad charged me rent and I was like, that's it. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, I, I, I was always fascinated with money as a child and entrepreneurship. And I had a mentor who told me to look into investing in real estate. So I did. And I came across Robert Kiyosaki and I even paid money to go to a Carlton Sheets program and all these things. And so when I was, when I got out of high school, I wanted to buy some rental properties. So I started buying them right away. Good for you. Um, I have to ask another question. How did you qualify? Did you have a job or how did that work? Yeah. So I actually, right out of uh, high school, I got a job with LA County and that was, I don't remember what the criteria was then, but because I had been a student, um, it didn't like go against me. So I was able to get a loan with the FHA program uh, because I had a government job, probably, probably helped at least. And then, um, and then that was basically the, the springboard for all the other rental properties uh, with that job and being able to buy the first one. And of course, later I was forced myself into doing creative finance deals. Very interesting. Yeah, I bought my first place also in Southern California because I didn't want to pay rent. I thought it was throwing money away. Mm -hmm. So I bought my first place. I, I mean, my job had seasoned a whole year maybe and I bought my first place. I couldn't wait to jump in and rent out two of the other rooms in the three bedroom condo. I was inspired too, but I just felt like I couldn't throw the money away on rent. So I, yeah. I guess I did what they call house hacking kind of like, <laughs> so yeah. All right. Tell us if you would about your best deal you've ever done. So the best deal I've done, um, is actually a, not a real estate transaction technically. So I wanted to buy a fourplex that had a foundation problem in San Antonio. And the, uh, I, I haven't done a conventional mortgage in 10 years or maybe more than 10 years, maybe 12 years. And so I was trying to figure out how do I get this property from the, from the seller who doesn't want it and it has a foundation problem, it has everything that I want and it's a fourplex. Um, so I spoke to the underlying uh, bank who had the note and asked them, hey, can I assume this mortgage? Because the seller didn't feel comfortable with me assuming it. And lo and behold, when I was doing my research, I found out the seller had purchased the fourplex with an LLC. And the loan was with the LLC. So it was perfect. I was like, wow, we don't even need the bank's permission to do the transaction we want to do. We don't even need you to be like the third party that uh, is the, um, the person who pays the mortgage from an assumable mortgage when you do it with the seller. Mm-hmm. All we need to do is get that LLC in my name. So that's what we did. I purchased the LLC, which owned the fourplex. The smoothest transaction, only 23 years left on the financing that was already in place with a nice 4.5% interest rate on a fourplex. And it was probably one of the most exciting deals I've done because it didn't require the lengthy uh, loan documentation. It didn't, require, it didn't even require a title or escrow company. It was really us meeting at an attorney's office selling an LLC because technically there was no real estate transaction. Wow, that is fascinating. Especially because I might have a fourplex in an LLC that I want to sell in the next year. So I'm going to have to consider that. So a question for you on that. Um, in my particular case here in Southern California, it's my fourplex. The bank said up front, they're going to be 
requiring personal financial statements because it's only my husband and I and the LLC and the LLC's financial statements every year and the tax returns. They asked for it the first year, nice and early, and I said, sorry, we're on extension, which we always are. Imagine that. I just don't like to do my tax work until I have to. (laughs) And thankfully, they've just never asked for it again. I mean, not thankfully. Of course, I'd provide it, but it's been over two years. But I believe it's a portfolio loan, you know, for listeners that don't know. That means a bank, it's actually a credit union. They hold it themselves. Have you and your experience with your loan um, that your LLC has, have they had similar requirements for you and how have you dealt with those? So they, there's a due on sales clause. That was the only thing we were concerned about, but it, but there was no sale of the property. So I haven't right. had to deal with that. Um, we even had the, um, you know, the mortgage coupons, everything sent to me. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it wasn't an issue here in Texas. I don't know about the legality of, of it in California, or even Texas, to be honest with you, because I just hired an attorney and said, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Right. Yes. And listeners, we're not giving legal advice, but I'm raising legal yeah. questions. And so much of um, what how I learn things is from talking to other investors. So like that's why I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. what's Daniel done and what has he faced and how has he dealt with it? And what is his, is yours a bank or a credit union or what is, who holds your It's notes? a bank. Um, but I can tell you dealing, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have done assumables. I've got a t- I've, t- I've assumed a ton of mortgages and they all have that due on sales clause. And I swear I've Googled it. I've talked to other investors. I've dealt with them. If you pay the bill, they just, they just don't bother you. They don't well, care. And I'll say I have a mortgage that I bought and the bank, it's a big national bank. <laughs> And they know what happened because something messed up with the insurance. I mean, basically that's the only negative thing for me is we have to keep the insurance that the first guy got. So the bank found out about it, but they don't seem to care. I mean, they get paid every month and oh, well, you know, it's just how it goes. <laughs> so I've had the same experience. And if you get the borrower or the, yeah, the initial borrower to sign that authorization form, you can even call the bank and say, Hey, change the address to my email, change the address to my house. I mean, uh, once you have that bar with observations, like having a power of attorney. That's nice. Yeah, in my situation, it was a little different. It was actually like a, um, a psychiatrist in Los Angeles that was sold selling a rental property out in Palm Springs. And I don't think he understood anything he was signing, even though it was all done through a real estate broker. I was the buyer separate. You know, there was somebody in the middle between us. He called me. He's like, when is this loan going to get out of my name? And I said, I'm sorry, it's not going to. This is how you sold it. You signed everything. He was all mad. So I felt bad, but it wasn't, I didn't do anything shady or illegal. I never deceived him. So with you, when you're going and negotiating deals directly, you're not having that intermediate broker like I did. So then you're on better terms with your um, sellers and well, whose names stay on the loan too. Yeah. And when I do those, I'm, I'm usually trying to get rid of them within, you know, usually a year. I'll, I'll do a five-year balloon or a 10-year balloon on it, but really I'm, I don't, I don't even like to have it with uh, somebody else's name. So I'm, I'm not, those are not rental properties for me. Those are properties that I'm either going to flip out of or sell or, or pay off and then just keep as a rental property. Right. Well, while we're on this topic, um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how you haven't used a conventional mortgage in 10 years? So tell us how maybe what inspired that and what started it. And obviously it's working for you since you've done it so long. So tell us more about that. 
I was inspired by a 550 FICO score. So inspiring. <laughs> yes, it so. is. You got resourceful, didn't you? Yeah. Like when you have to, you find alternatives, right? Yeah, I had done some some small creative financing uh, in my younger days. But once I blew myself up in 2008 and had about 10 foreclosures in a single year, oh. uh, there was just no going back for me. And um, I didn't even want to make the effort to try to fix it. It was so bad. So I just started purchasing properties um, with uh, conventional or excuse me, unconventional financing. Um, I've done a few of them where I've actually borrowed money from other sources to uh, get the financing. But the one that I've used for the last four or five years is very simple. I'm I'm finding distressed sellers or distressed properties, which is making the seller distressed and basically giving them the upfront cash that they need, usually between five to $15,000 for them to be able to walk away from it. Simple deal. I'm going to assume the mortgage. Uh, I take ownership of the deed, ownership of the land. um, And I assume the mortgage. I pay their mortgage, which is still under their name. And I pay it for whatever the agreement is. Some, some of them are as small as one year, which is rare. But usually I try to pad it and say, look, I have a balloon payment of five years. But I explain to them, look, your, your, your credit's going to be improved in, in immediately because I'm going to make these payments on time every month. You're never going to have to deal with the property or even the bank because I'll still have authorization to talk to them. But the assumable is the most important thing. And the biggest obstacle is the fact of the matter is the mortgages do say there is a due on, on sales clause on, on every single one I've ever seen. So that might frighten somebody, but that's really, you have to just, you have to build a trusting relationship, right? Because ultimately any transaction with another human being is going to have to have some leap of faith by, by the two of you. Yes, absolutely. And I have another follow on question for that. So when you first bring this idea up to people uh, and if they're in distress situations, they're probably open to it. But I don't know what the right question is. This what percentage of the time would you say people just say no way that's too scary versus being open minded to it? You know, I think it happens occasionally, but I would say seventy five percent of the time people are open minded. But because I'm targeting a very specific time, I'm not approaching the guy who's got his house listed across the street. Right. I'm approaching somebody with a foundation problem who's who's six days away from foreclosure, oh, or I'm wow. approaching a, a divorced couple who the property, literally I've been in two scenarios uh, in the last two years where I've had to have somebody fly the check to Dallas to, to hand it to Wells Fargo because the property has gone at you know, wow. 9 a.m. that next morning. Wow. So um, you, know, you find it, you, the stress seller, you're looking for solutions and more than likely they've already exhausted themselves with the conventional ways of getting rid of a house. And now they've given up. And uh, you know, specifically in Central Texas, I focus on foundation problems. And those people are in a rough spot because most investors avoid foundation problems and you can't get a conventional loan. So you, there's no, who's the hell's going to buy these houses. So by the time i I've made it to them, you know, you, you know, I'm really trying to show them like, hey, there's a path we can do this. And you're, you're looking for what 10 grand. Okay. Here's your 10 grand. I just need you to sign the house over to me. And for the people that aren't open-minded to it or, you know, not going to do it, I guess they just end up losing it to foreclosure. If you're coming in near the end, they just start in denial until the very end and lose it then, I'm assuming. Yeah, and I've had a few people where, you know, they'll deny me in, uh, you know, in, in December and then March rolls around and they're calling me and say, can we still do that deal? You know, 
And then do you offer them the same deal or do you always come back with a lower offer? There's no love for people who rejected me on the first one. Oh, <laughs> you're one of those, huh? Well, like, it's like the shark tank. Once you walk out of the tank, you know, you know, the deal's not going to be the same when you come back. Ooh, I'll remember that if I ever have an offer from you. <laughs> I'll, I probably won't get an offer from you. I don't have that exciting opportunities. Of well, you're not distressed. <laughs> not with that pink hat, hard hat. You're at least, you're protected. Yeah. So tell us about your one of your worst deals, something that didn't go right, and maybe where you learned a lesson or two. <laughs> yeah. So when you're buying houses at 18 at, at, in the year 2000, by 2006, you can imagine how smart you think you are because you're <laughs> investing in the biggest bubble in history uh, for real estate. So my goodness. Okay. So uh, 2007, I actually see the housing market turning. And so I tell everybody in my life to get out of housing. I even make a YouTube channel. That's how Future Money Trend started. Um, and I'm like, I've got to sneak in more. So I'm doing like 10 of them. I'm doing as many as I can bigger. So I, I left my niche too. I was doing these $200,000, you know, give or take 50,000. And I bought in Newport Beach. Uh, I bought a property for like 550 that was worth a million dollars. I had a great deal. We did, we put 165,000 in fixing. It was on flip that house. The show says we made a big old profit, but the truth is we list the house for nine, 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 nine. Two days later, Bear Stearns files for bankruptcy or taken out by, um, uh, I can't think of who took out Bear, oh, JP Morgan. So Bear Stearns goes under. And, um, from there, I literally chased the market down, not with just that one, but with, with the 10 that I had listed. Some of them, one of them had a squatter move in, just let that fire go out, foreclosed on that house. <laughs> Other ones, you're just constantly chasing. That 999, I chased it all the way down to where it was a short sale. Oh. I'm doing a short sale on that house. After putting in 165K of real dollars into the house, and then blowing yourself up completely with holding costs and everything. It was without a doubt the worst deal and the most long lasting deal because I had borrowed half that money and I had to pay it back and it didn't get paid back for a few years. But um, yeah, so it was a worst deal without a doubt. And the craziest thing is if, if you could ever find the TLC show, we, uh, we walk away on the camera like we pocketed 175 grand, but we didn't make a penny. <laughs> Well, lesson to me and to all the listeners, the house flipping shows yeah. aren't always the 100% truth, but I imagine too, sometimes they need to wrap up a show and the house isn't sold. So they're making their best guess of what it's going to sell for too. Right? Absolutely. And back in those yeah. days, I don't even think they were counting the realtor fees or anything. Oh yeah. Oh, what? There's selling costs? Really? <laughs> I know. I used to laugh about that. Well, yeah. I mean, what a bummer. That was your worst deal, but... I mean, that's just showing how people can be subject to market changing conditions. So, you know, some things are out of your, a lot of things are out of our control as investors. We try and control as much as we can to not have squatters move into our houses. And we just had an exciting incident with that this week. And thankfully it turned out to not be a big deal, but yeah, this guy, my house sitter started saying, you owe me all this money. I've been here over 30 days. I have residence rights and I know the magistrate. I'm like, Scott, my husband, what the heck is a magistrate? He's like, oh, that's a word for judge. And they mostly use it in England. I'm like, what is this crazy old man talking about? Like, I don't know. It's just 
The life of a real estate investor can be more exciting than many people ever imagine, and not in good ways. <laughs> we probably shouldn't admit this, but how many homes have we have we gone into that are vacant and um, there's no lockbox? Oh yeah, yeah I always yeah. check that slider. It always yeah. opens up. Half the time, it opens up. Yeah, when we were buying at auction, so many times someone on our team would just look for a window that didn't close all the way or didn't lock, and we weren't the first ones. Lots of auction buyers were like running through these vacant houses. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Just it's just an exciting game. Well, yeah. anyway, so thank you so much for sharing that. And for our free download this week, I'm really excited. You're going to address a topic that I've never had on my show before, but it's definitely a hot topic. So why don't you tell our listeners about what you are going to share with us for our free download and yeah. what it's about. The C word. <laughs> one of the things I've been heavily involved in as an investor is cannabis. And it's being fully legalized in Canada uh, by October 2nd. So we're heavily involved in the cannabis companies, uh, as well as we do like California because of the population size, but you still have that federal government issue. So it's the safest just to invest in the Canadian ones. And um, we've done in-depth in research on who the right people are. Because you got to remember, this is a, a new industry. There, It's not like you can go and find the best um, the best realtor or house lover, or if you're going to buy a gold mine, you can't find the best gold guy. The, this is all new. So you got to find a, the great tech guy who came over to become in, into the, involved in the cannabis space. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it's a great trend. I'm sure a lot of people listening to California have tried it. I didn't even try it until I was 32 years old. And um, I, I'll never forget it. I tried it at 32 and I was like, that was it. I'm like, this is like drinking, you know, three fourths of a glass or a bottle of wine on an empty stomach. It wasn't that big of a deal. The best part though is all the nonsense goes away. Uh, you know, if I drink a bottle of wine, I've got to deal with it in the morning. If I drink, if I have a, a gummy or something from with cannabis in it, um, you know, within three hours, four hours, I'm back to normal. Wow. Interesting. So what are you going to share with us? Um, just a brief overview of what's in your free download that they can get and that they can learn about. Yeah. So the free download will have basically the, 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 the trend and the dollars we're talking about that are moving into the space. The positive things we're seeing from world governments all around, all around from Europe, uh, the United States even, uh, including from the White House, positive statements that show that this is an inevitable trend. And recently, we've seen the alcohol companies like Constellation Brands and Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, uh, pour billions of dollars into this space. And in that, I'll also profile some of the leading companies that have been doing really well, uh, some of the, the few companies that have, that have been actually making money. Because for the most part, only attorneys have been making money in the cannabis space. Mm -hmm. But I think that's all about to change. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new industry. It's the birth of it. But I think it's an inevitable industry. And I think this will be just like the alcohol and tobacco companies uh, in 10 years, 15 years from now, will be very mainstream. But right now, you have the chance to invest even before the bull market has started. Wow. Sounds like a really interesting opportunity. Cool. So listeners, if you'd like to get your hands on this free download and take advantage of Daniel's extensive research, you can get that at hardhatholly.com forward slash 104, where show number 104. And you can also get it by texting to the number 38470. That's 38470. You're going to text 
hard hat with no space between it. 38470 text hard hat and I will send you back this free download along with links to our other downloads and I'll let you know once a week when our new shows are going live too on that if you'd like to be reminded by texts. So that's how they can get that. Hey Daniel, if people want to connect with you and learn more about your blog and tell us a little bit more about what is on futuremoneytrends.com. Yeah, if you guys go to futuremoneytrends.com, you can subscribe for a free weekly wealth digest. I have advertisers on the blog, so it's all free content. And I'm basically sharing my story of the successes and, and failures that I've had to experience as an investor and somebody who's built a business, and then also new things. So I sit in, I, I read for about four or five hours a day. Occasionally, I come across something worth investing in, in real estate or, or, or the stock market or cryptocurrencies. And I'll share that along. I don't suggest it. I just say, look, this is what I'm doing. I've, I've done this and I've made some money at it. Very interesting. Well, and something that I talked about right at the beginning of the show that I'd like to talk a little bit more about right now as we're nearing the end. But you do real estate investing as you called it a side hobby. Now, I'm not going to call it a hobby because hobbies don't make you money. And I think the real estate is making you money. And you've got three children. How old are your three kids? Four, six, and eight. Yeah, and so are you involving them at all with the business and teaching them about real estate investing? Heavily. Um, so they actually participate in uh, some of the houses. They'll chip in some money. They'll be paid back as investors. I make sure they're at every single closing, um, every single property we look at. Uh, they're heavily involved. They play a ton of Monopoly and cash flow uh, with Robert Kiyosaki's game. They're heavily involved in um, I am doing everything I can to make my kids unemployable. I love it. <laughs> I know. I, I've had thoughts as mine are all one just graduated college, one's senior, one's going to be a freshman, one's heading there. I'm like, I, I tell them, you know, the only reason I'm still a fan of college is that I think it would help propel them in their career, what they're pursuing. Other than that, I don't think college is a path for everybody. And I don't think a regular corporate job is the path to happiness for everybody. So I love that you're showing them alternatives and a way to be financially free, you know, that they don't have to be a slave to that nine to five or eight to eight corporate job that some people do. That's really awesome. So how many deals um, are you doing a year approximately now? I only do three to five real estate deals a year um, and probably two or three of them are flips. And the only reason I would go four or five is if I saw a great rental opportunity for to add some more cash flow. I love it. And one thing I think is great about this is you learned the skill set to do rentals and flips and probably other things too, and to buy things with creative financing and no mortgage. And now that's a tool in your toolbox that you can use for life, right? Like if you needed to step it up or ramp it up for some yeah. reason, you would know how, right? You really tap into that. That's the ultimate financial security, right? The knowledge of to know how to make the money. Which I love. And I love that you're teaching your kids that. My kids have been a little resistant to it here and there, but <laughs> they know more than they think they know. Because even my... Um, 16 year old was rattling off stuff about 
escrow and how much is your EMD, which stands for earnest money deposit. I'm like, yeah, he's absorbed a lot of stuff. They used to get so mad when we'd drag him around Home Depot and pile stuff in a cart, which wouldn't happen all the time, but sometimes. And I'm sure I got so many looks from the store employees like, what is this family doing? But hey, <laughs> they're all going to be thankful when they're older, right? Yeah. <laughs> so as we close here, what would be your final parting words of advice to aspiring real estate investors? I would, I would just say, look, uh, real estate's one of the best investments. You want to mimic the rich. You want to mimic the banks. And this is something they're heavily involved in is real estate. And it's, it's stood the test of time and it's a great way to make money. And this, the reason I call it a hobby is because I'm having so much fun making money. (laughs) Um, So I think listening to Holly's podcast and other real estate educational things, I mean, it's, it's one of the best things you can do for your life. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge and listeners get over and check out futuremanytrends.com because none of us should be all in on one thing. So it's really great to learn besides real estate, what opportunities you have to increase your wealth. So thanks so much, Daniel. Appreciate your time and listeners get out there, take some action, check out his um, blog, learn some things and take some action. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show. And let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.